Good morning, Expeditioners. Now that we've got a sense of what these dives are like, and we've heard from some of the more extreme divers on this expedition, let's get ready to go on one ourselves. So get your gear together and join me in the conference room for our pre-dive briefing. Welcome back to the Exploration Medicine Podcast. My name is Dana Levin. What you're about to hear is a record of my experience as part of the Institute for Nautical Archaeology's expedition to excavate the Western Antalya wreck. This merchant ship sank over 4,000 years ago during the mid to late Bronze Age, while carrying cargo likely from the island of Cyprus to unknown ports in the northwest. Over the next two months, we'll follow these experiences as they were recorded in real time, edited only for sound quality to protect the identities of participants and the location of the wreck itself. Today, we'll be diving to 40 meters to set plates for the phone booth. We'll be in a buddy team, but the other three INA divers will go down with us because this is a lot of work in a short time. U.S. Navy decompression tables give us about 15 minutes of time at this depth without decompression, but we're going to plan this dive using our custom tables, so we'll have 20 minutes of time to descend to the seafloor, accomplish our tasks, and begin our ascent. As usual, there will be a two-minute warning sound from the surface when we reach the 18-minute mark, so we'll have time to finish up and clean the site, and then an ascend signal played at 20 minutes to alert us to begin the ascent. The task is this. Dive to the phone booth plates positioned on a ledge just above the wreck. Once there, Team 1 will attach and fill four large lift bags to neutralize the weight of the 3 4 ton plates, and Team 2, that's us, will search for the two cinder blocks that were supposed to support the plates but fell off the ledge yesterday, and we'll go retrieve them if they're in a safe depth to retrieve. Once this is done, both teams will work together to center the plates on the ledge and support any gaps with the cinder blocks. We will use standard hand signals, and we've all dived together before, so this should go smoothly. We're wet in 20 minutes, so let's head out on deck and get suited up. All right, now that we've got our gear on and our pre-dive checks are complete, let's shuffle over to the deck gate and check with the timekeeper who will clear us to enter the water. Okay, with that clearance, let's tap some air into the buoyancy control vest, put the regulator in our mouths and for a final breathing check, and jump into the turquoise blue water. Once in the water, we'll make sure to signal okay to the deck crew by placing a closed fist on our heads to signal the deck crew and swim back to the stern to join the rest of our team by the submerged shot line. We all checked in with each other and our gear one last time, replaced the regulators in our mouths, and signal all clear to the deck crew. The deck chief echoes our thumbs up signal and sweeps a wide arc with her hand to point her thumb down, clearing us to start the dive, and the timekeeper to start the timer. 20 minutes time, 2800 PSI of air remaining. The surface sounds fade as I release the air from my BCD and let the water envelop my head. I check the air and pressure gauges to ensure they're reading nominally, and the other two members of Team 2 catch my attention and tap her, their fingers together three times to signal bubbles, and then OK, letting me know that my pressure hoses, regulators, and air cylinder are not leaking. I perform the same checks on them. Below, I can just make out the bright spot of the plates shining above the shadowy outline of the wall as it continues down into a blue oblivion. 18 minutes planned dive time and 2,700 PSI remaining. The descent is uneventful. I am almost at the plates now. The colors have faded one by one until only blues and greens remain. The rest of the rainbow of sunlight absorbed by the fluid space we now inhabit. The sounds are hissing gas with every inhale and bubbles with every exhale. 
but the silence between breaths brings a constant crackling sound that is the mixture of fish eating, tiny bubbles popping at the surface, and other seabed movements. The red lines on my gauge now appear a dark green. About 30 meters, the water temperature abruptly changed as we descended below the first thermocline. I am now just slightly cold in my dry suit, and the pressure is constricting it around me, squeezing my chest, arms, and legs and restricting movement. I press the release valve and let the pressurized air flow into the suit, releasing the squeeze and creating a layer of insulating air between me and the mildly chilly water. We arrive on station at 35 meters, and I neutralize my buoyancy, assuming a free-floating horizontal position with my feet raised up and my hands clasped, just deep side and below the phone booth plates. My buddy does the same beside me, while Team 1 hangs just above the lift bags preparing to fill them. 15 minutes planned dive time and 2,500 PSI remaining. We can see the missing cinder blocks, another 7 to 10 meters below us. I check with Team 1 to confirm I will dive for them and signal to my buddy, OK to descend. I use the hand signals. Both members of Team 1 signal back and begin filling the lift bags while my buddy flashes back the OK signal. I invert and slowly swim down to the block. I grip my block, look around to see my buddy doing the same, just now feeling the beginnings of nitrogen narcosis beginning to dull my senses. We catch eyes briefly, and an unspoken, okay, let's head back is communicated. I push off from the ground, and the excess weight of the block means I have to fin hard to return to the plates. This is my first mistake. Air is limited underwater, and exertion burns through it faster. Halfway up, I change strategies and remember to add air both to the dry suit to relieve the added squeeze and to the BCD to let buoyancy lift the block rather than my muscles. Back on station, I deposit the block under the plates. I feel the vest start to pull me upwards as the weight of the now-released cinder block is lost, so I vent the excess air from my BCD and a little more from my dry suit and re-establish neutrality. 11 minutes planned dive time, 2100 PSI remaining. By now, the plates are just slightly negative. My second task is to video the plate position so we can analyze it back on the surface, so I pull my camera from my leg pouch and turn it on. I'm still breathing hard from the exertion, so I'm trying to slow that down to conserve air. The four of us position ourselves around the plates and begin to move them over the ledge. The ledge is not even, but we can get one edge over a small ridge of rock which we can use to brace at least half of it. The rest will need to be supported on the small rock peak and with careful placement of the cinder blocks. This will take some effort. Without the ability to talk, we're limited to hand signals and assumptions to coordinate movement. All our senses are slightly dulled with a pleasant, almost buzz of being drunk from nitrogen narcosis. This means we'll work slowly and frequently be looking around to see what others are doing, acknowledging that we may not be thinking as clearly as we would like to be. First, we shift the block to be well positioned over the ridge, but Team 1 sees the now exposed cinder blocks and begins to pull it back. A little shift would be fine, but they begin to pull it off the rock ridge entirely, and I signal to them to stop and push it back. My buddy copies this signal until Team 1 sees us and stops the movement. We reposition the plates back over the ridge and I signal OK to Team 1. We start to position cinder blocks to fill as many gaps as we can and stabilize the plates before we release the air from our lift bags. Two minutes planned dive time and 900 PSI remaining. The two minute warning goes off and the blocks are largely positioned, but a gap still exists under the wreck side edge. 
Since the plates are largely secure, we decide to finish the positioning for now and deflate the lift bag supporting the plates. Team 1 sets about doing this. I start to remove the small lift bags from the corners, but they wave me off signaling stop, take pictures instead. I flash an OK and focus my camera on a survey of the plates and supports and how we've built. My buddy pushes off and hovers about 3 meters above us. 800 PSI remaining in the tank. We've passed the first limit on dive time as we now need to ascend based on dive tables. However, our computers are still giving us a few more minutes of bottom time since our depth was really a little shallower than the flat 40 meters we'd planned. From a decompression standpoint, we're still okay, as long as we make the safety stop at 5 meters for 3 minutes. 550 PSI remaining. We've reached the second limit on dive time, as I've passed the soft air limit for a surface return. Unlike water, gas is a flexible and energetic phase of matter. The higher the pressure, the more dense it becomes, so that a tank that lasts two hours near the surface will last less than a quarter of that time at our depth. It's not the only challenge, though. The temperature down here is also much cooler than the surface, and as gas cools, it loses energy and pressure, thus stealing an additional 300 or so of my 2800 PSI from the beginning. Air is life down here, but it's a very limited resource, and getting smaller by the minute. By my estimate, based on my calculated air use from the surface swims adjusted for conditions at depth, my tank should last about 45 minutes, but I plan for 40 minutes since my calculations may be off. Since the dive plan called for only a 20-minute dive and 10 minutes of decompression, we should have no problem. However, I've been working fairly hard lifting heavy objects and swimming them up a cliff. I know I've burned air faster than I would have otherwise, and this is why the hard limit of 700 PSI exists. I stop my exertions, slow my breathing, and abandon my videography. I join Debbie above the station, and I ask OK. She signals OK, and then another signal for low air. I acknowledge this and return the same signal. We signal our other teammates who are still on station. They're busy looking away and we're unable to get their attention, so we have to hover until they look up. The time to ascend signal goes off. 400 PSI remaining. We've reached the total planned dive time, and we haven't even begun the ascent yet. Team 1 is still finishing securing the bags and see us hovering. We again signal low air and ascend in an urgent fashion. They acknowledge this and begin their own ascent. My air supply has passed now the hard limit for aborting a dive and returning to the surface. I flag Debbie and again signal low air. She asks if I needed to share hers. Since we are ascending, I tell her no, and she asks to see my gauge, acknowledging the low air limit. 200 PSI remaining. We stop just below 22 meters. It's not clear why, but one of the members of Team 1 gave us a level off signal. I look at the others and everyone seems okay, but we can't seem to figure out why we've stopped. My air supply is now dangerously low, and I know that my dive buddies is not much better. But we still have to make our decompression stop, so the only reason for our holding at this depth is if we've exceeded a computer limit and one of the computers is recommending a decompression stop near here. But 22 meters is an odd depth for that. Normally the first one would be at 18 meters, or an optional deep stop at 25 meters. We're now burning time and air that we don't have. 150 PSI remaining. We're still at 22 meters, but now we're ascending. I am carefully attuned to my air supply as I remember the sensation of being out of air from my training dives. There's no warning, no alarm, the breaths simply get harder, 
and then harder. And as you pull, eventually the air supply gets lower and lower until, no matter how hard you pull, there's no more air left in the tank. I'm not sure that I have enough to make the required three-minute stop, let alone our table plan ten minutes. In fact, I'm pretty sure I don't have that amount. And now that we've added an additional three minutes at 22 meters, we've got more nitrogen in our system, and this stop is more important than ever. The other divers know this too, and I can see we are all silently planning contingencies as we slowly continue to ascend. 100 PSI remaining. I signal low air to Debbie. She signals back that she also has less than 200 PSI remaining. We are still several meters from the surface, and at this point, there are only a few full breaths remaining in the tanks. I begin to wonder what happens if we have to skip our deco stop. I have no pains or symptoms of decompression sickness now, but that's because I still have over twice the pressure of the surface world pressing on every one of my tissues. If I skip the deco stop, my tissues could start fizzing like the sodas are cooked drinks with every meal, blocking blood flow and tearing tissues apart. I've never been bent before. Should I assume any unusual sensation now is decompression sickness? What about the others? What will their symptoms be, and how closely should I monitor them? Will I need to ask them to stay awake after their dive and examine them every hour? I've stopped checking my gauge, there's no point. I already know I don't have enough air for the deco stop, and at some point, very soon, I will start to feel the increased resistance that signals the final few breaths. I'll just keep breathing until it becomes harder, and until I can finally pull no more air. I'll have to make an impossible choice then. Either swim to the surface and risk pains and tissue damage of decompression sickness, or ask to buddy breathe at depth and risk draining the tanks of more team members, putting them in the same predicament. I signal to Debbie that my tank is near empty. She says the same, but places her spare regulator near me anyway, just in case. This is kind of a diver code. You don't abandon your buddy. We all carry spare regulators in case one of us runs out of air. But this doesn't work if both buddies are low. Debbie signals to the others that we are almost out of air. One shows her a gauge that's barely reading above the red line. The other has about 500 PSI remaining. Somehow, he's managed to outlast all of us. But even with that reserve, it's unlikely that we have enough air for all of us to make a deco stop. This realization is slowly sinking into the team as we arrive at the decompression stop of six meters. Will our heroic divers make it back to the surface safely? Will they have to spend the night in a decompression chamber? Tune in next time for the dramatic conclusion. Thank you for listening to the Exploration Medicine Podcast. Please take a moment to subscribe to the podcast and leave us a review. It helps us reach a wider audience. We'd also love it if you would subscribe to our email list so we can update you directly when we post a new episode. Special thanks to our production team, Sultana Pefley, Jeremy Seeker, and Emily Streth. Music is written and recorded by David Keogh. More information on each episode, including a comments board, is available on the website at explorationmedicine.com. And as always, feel free to reach out with questions, comments, corrections, thoughts, or anything else by emailing podcast at explorationmedicine.com. Thanks for listening, and see you soon.